Welcome to another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast with me, James Roberts, transformational coach, two-time Paralympian, and TEDx speaker. I have another awesome episode for you today, so let's get straight into it. And on today's show, I've got Mark Smith. Mark served with the 1st Battalion Grenadier Guards, had tours of Bosnia, Iraq, and Afghanistan, shared a bodybuilding stage with Phil Heath, is a two-time British Strongest Disabled Man, two-time Arnold Disabled Strongman Classic winner, English Strongest Disabled Man, world record pulling two trucks at once, amputee footballer, and author of Strength of Mind. So welcome onto the show, Mark. Hey, mate. You all right? Thank you I'm, for having me on. I'm very well, thank you. Obviously, We've obviously given you the accolades there. What haven't you achieved? <laughs> uh, I've just been I've just been very lucky. I I had some some good days, um, but yeah, equally, um, you could turn up to a competition and not perform on the day, and and I wouldn't have those titles. So yeah, it just so happened that on those particular days, um, I was able to sort of perform to a standard sort of good enough to to win those competitions but yeah I just got very lucky on on a few occasions so well you say luck there's obviously a lot of hard work that's got to go into the behind the scenes yeah yeah I I um I think anything that I've done all, all of those sort of sports I've I've dedicated myself to um I've lived I've lived that lifestyle I've sort of learned off of people that have been involved in those sports a lot longer than myself and and just almost try to be like a bit of a sponge and sort of take up as much knowledge as I can get from those people. Um, so yeah, although I've, although I've been very fortunate to sort of achieve those things, that's not been on my own. That's been through being open-minded enough, I suppose, to, to listen to, to people with experience and learn from them and get the right sort of techniques when it comes to log pressing and, Get the right sort of diet advice when it comes to bodybuilding and with the football i've i've watched a, a lot of the lads as to the height of their crutches and all the tiny little details um so i've always i've always just sort of paid attention to the details and and then tried to try to sort of live that lifestyle i suppose um more so that you know if if come the end of a competition wherever i've finished I know that I've put in every ounce of effort that I've got in the months leading up to it and on the day and whatever happens on the day happens, but I know that I can come away knowing that, that I've, I've given everything. Um, so thankfully that, that mindset has, has paid off on more than one occasion in the last few years. How has your body adapted or should I say evolved going from sport to sport? Cause obviously I've, I've, I've followed, your progression on, on social media. But for people that don't know, obviously there's a massive uh, evolution between you as a, as a soldier to losing your leg to then going into bodybuilding and becoming an amputee footballer. Um, like I said, I think it's just um, picking the brains of people that are, you know, far more experienced in those fields and, um having having a determination um i've always been a very stubborn person in the fact that 
if I've said something out loud, I have to see it through and I have to do it. Um, so, yeah, I've, so I've just tried to, uh, for each of those, they're very different sort of, um, very different diets, very different training programs. Um, but the same, the same sort of mentality, the same sort of determination. Um, so with the strongman, obviously it meant eating a lot more, training a lot heavier, doing different events. Um, and that was what was necessary. So that's, that's what I've sort of put my body through. And, and likewise with the bodybuilding, it was a case of low carbs and, you know, fasted cardio in the mornings and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, I've just, I've just sort of, I think the human body is adaptable and maybe obviously the paths that I've been on since have, have shown that. And you talked about low carb and, and things of that nature. Do, do you, as an individual within that discipline, do you have a, temp uh, a temperament for like mood swings because of it? Um. I would say I was a lot happier in strongman, obviously eating, eating a lot. Um, yeah, that, that was my, that was my sort of, that was my strong point. I, I was, I could happily eat, eat the calories that was needed for that. But yeah, I, I struggled um, with the bodybuilding. I had an opportunity to help the disability category grow um, to give it more exposure, but that meant stepping on stage frequently at different competitions that wanted to include it. Um, so it meant diet in almost for nine months continuous. Um, so yeah, I was, I was very fatigued. Um, I know when I sort of trained for my second competition, it was straight off the back of my first one. And I was sort of pulling into laybys for sleeps and stuff because I was just exhausted. Um, so yeah, yeah, I definitely, I was just sort of running on empty towards the end of that year of, of bodybuilding um so yeah i would say um my family probably noticed my mood increased when my calories increased and was it a happy to cha a happier change to move away from that up just for one of those the downsides of it yeah i mean i'd only ever intended to do one bodybuilding competition i just wanted to do it to show how far i'd come um obviously when i was in hospital i was sort of in my eyes I was I was weak I, I could barely sort of hold myself up out of the bed and stuff and um so for me bodybuilding closed that chapter because it was the opportunity for me to stand on stage and show how far I'd come um whereas yeah the the strongman definitely sort of suited me more um yeah to to sort of spend nine months with like your stomach rumbling in an evening <laughs> like that wears thin quite quick and why why did you want to transition out to strongman and then, then try out at football um I'd, I'd grown up playing football um i'd played sort of sunday league since i was seven years old um right up to joining the army and then I'd, i was fortunate to play for the regiment as well when i was in um so football was always my sort of first love um and I possibly would have gone straight into it after losing a leg, but I, I, I tried it and I could still remember 
being on a football pitch as an able-bodied player. And I think it was too soon to go from one to the other. So I I had a few years away from it, but I always sort of thought in the back of my mind, I'd come back to football one day. Um, and I think the time that I did eventually go back to football, enough years had passed to fully embrace being an amputee. So when I did step back on a football pitch, didn't I didn't sort of um I didn't miss uh the, the right leg so much anymore. I'd I'd adapted to being an amputee. And we were talking off air about ultimately the, the scarcity of clubs. In an ideal world, then Mark, would you love to play for your club that you support? Um yeah, I mean, I suppose the difference is amputee football doesn't have the luxury of, you know, an academy system of players coming through. It's, in a way, other people's life-changing injuries can benefit the league. Um, you know, it's it's quite hard to convince amputees to come off their prosthetic leg and go onto a pair of crutches because a lot of people see it as a backward step um and i think a lot of people feel vulnerable um taking a prosthetic leg off you know you're exposing your your amputated leg to to knocks and falls and stuff and so even though obviously in the military in particular we've got a lot of amputees um a lot of them i think in the, in the entire league there's only three of us that are veterans a, a lot of lads are, are put off by the thought of being on crutches so yeah, in a way, eight teams is probably the limit because the number of amputees that actually want to get involved in football um, isn't huge. Do you think in terms of viewing, utilising crutches, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a, a, an open-ended question to you now, Mark, as going backwards, but also it's a competitive sport. So... Ultimately, some people are just seeing it from one side of the argument, but they're not look, um, looking at what you're very passionate about. Because I can see it just from Instagram videos that you take serious, you take training very seriously, even in in uh, in lockdowns and things like that. Do you think they should maybe take on board the competitive aspect of it a little bit more? So, because it's not it's not if you're going to be on the crutches beyond just for argument's sake that it goes into extra time and penalties like maybe in that and maybe 130 minutes tops and then mm. you put your leg back on if that is you you're that way inclined um i think only speaking from a veteran's perspective the the mindset from the physios down to the lads is very much we need to get you up on prosthetics and almost when you're on them, people are then too proud to not be on them. My, myself included before I got involved in football. So once people have progressed onto that, crutches were seen as um, in a weird way, lazy <laughs> at Headley court, you know, you, what you're doing on them, you should be on your prosthetic. Um, so I think, yeah, there's, it's hard to undo that when it's been ingrained into you for so long. Um, so I think that that puts people off. Um, but then whereas the lads who have lost their legs through cancer and stuff and have have got no choice but to be on crutches, 
um, embrace it better. Uh, you know, they, they're they not so fussed about the prosthetic legs because some of them aren't fortunate enough to be able to wear them. And But in terms of it being competitive, I'm, I'm confident that if, if you could get some of those lads that are dubious about being on crutches, if you could get them on a football pitch for half an hour and, and let them enjoy it, the satisfaction that comes from it, they'll soon they'll look at the competitive side rather than I'm not wearing my prosthetic, but it's it's getting them onto the pitch in the first place. That's the hardest bit, I think. How do you think you would go about that? Do you need, do you need to have some sort of sexy uh, hype video to kind of show? Uh, and I don't mean sexy in that way, but I mean, in terms of to make it, you show like the best bits of it in a 30 second video, maybe a 60 minute video at Mac at top just to, to showcase pretty much you know a bit like match of the day does with their opening sequence it's 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 you you see the 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 teams um i'll call them logos but you know what i'm talking about the insignia of the of, of the club's crest you know that's match of the day is coming on or the fa cup or something like that do you think it needs for the fa to be a little bit more embracing of one of their forms of, of football because ultimately they're trying to grow the game uh, in the women's part of the portion. Ultimately, uh, there was a newspaper article, uh, I think about just two weeks ago, in the Guardian of disabled people being kind of marginalised out because they've been forgotten about. Here's one of the biggest sports in our country. Mm-hmm. Here's your opportunity to make that and kind of be the leading figure to, to to showcase that we're trying to push for well, they're talking about equality and, and inclusion. Put your money where your mouth is. I think um it's not particularly it's not particularly well advertised in terms of trying to recruit new players. The clubs in terms of social media, aren't particularly proactive in in terms of trying to get new people involved. The EAFA never really seemed to be sort of advertising for new players or or giving new players an opportunity or an advert. Um, But then equally, I think because it's not a Paralympic sport, because it's not a part of the Invictus Games, it, it doesn't really get much recognition. The amount of people that follow myself that before I'd made that transition into amputee football, didn't even know it existed. Um, And I think that's still very much the case. You've got a couple of sort of proactive amputee footballers as individuals, um, you know, trying to sort of showcase it and put it out there. But on the whole, um, it is just word of mouth. Um, So I, I do... If you go to a limb fitting centre, there's there's no mention of it, um, and it's I I do feel like they're missing a trick. It could be much better advertised, um, and yeah, I think the the professional clubs themselves, obviously that that have been good enough to to embrace amputee football. Obviously, you know there, there's there's ways they could go about sort of well, in some cases because I said to you, and I and these are the only ones I can think of. To mind, obviously, you've got Arsenal, you've got Everton, you've got Man City. 
they've got to just use Manchester and Liverpool as the example. You've got the hot, you've got the whole city at your disposal to be. Ultimately, it's going to be, um, and I'll bring in myself into it. I could never see myself putting on a blue shirt because I'm a diehard Manchester United fan. That would it would be very very difficult to do that. But from a competitive standpoint, if I want to progress in the sport, I've got to put that ego to one side to be able to kind of, yes, it's your heart of hearts. You don't want to do that, but if you want to be able to progress, you need to be able to put that down. So obviously Arsenal has the lucrativity of, of, of having London. Yeah. In theory, they could become, they're not going to do this, but you could be the, the London club, the, the Liverpool club, Manchester yeah. Manchester club. Ultimately you play um, for Peterborough. They could take that, re- the, re- the area and kind of say, well, this is the club for, for the area but put the badge to one side and you'll represent your region. Yeah, I, I definitely think the, the club badges and people's affiliations with who they support make a difference. Um, but at, at West Bromwich Albion, we've got a couple of lads that are Wolves fans. Um, you know, so it can be done. Um, you know, you don't... I think that's the thing. I, a friend of mine said to me, you know, why, why are you playing for them? And it's like, but they've... They've given us a platform to mm-hmm. play, and and I think there's this thing, this misconception that all professional footballers support the team they play for. Like they they don't. It's it's an opportunity to play football. Um, they probably go well. The, the, I'd probably go. I put go out on a limb here, and the, no pun intended with that. They go where the money is, and and yeah. ultimately there is no loyalty to to any badge now in professional football. Obviously, there's there's some you could say of. Marcus Rashford is very is the Mancunian through and yeah. through, and he's a diehard Manchester United supporter. And you've seen it in when he's been berated on the pitch of like shouting at Maguire as the captain. Like you need to defend somebody who's been sent off because of obviously what transpired before. Obviously, I was a supporter. You you embrace that because that should be the captain doing that, not not the striker. Um, so it he's probably one of very few that are like that. They've come through the academy and they're very proud to 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 have the I'll say the fortune to to be able to wear their their the uh the club colours. But like you say, it's few and far between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that that has been a thing, obviously trying to get some other lads involved, you know, and they that you tell them their closest clubs. But you know they might be a Liverpool fan and they they will not play for Everton and stuff and it does it does definitely make a difference I think um, so you know there's a couple of obstacles to get over before you can get someone along to a training session as to you know you'll be you'll you'll need to take your prosthetic leg off you'll need to get on crutches a, a lot of a lot of my friends don't spend any time on crutches um, I've probably spent more time on crutches since I got into football than I did in the years previous. Um, so, but then I understand that because to go into disabled strongman meant going in a wheelchair. So I had to be open-minded enough to go, okay, well, I've made all this progress. I've stood on a bodybuilding stage on a, in a prosthetic leg, feeling relatively sort of able-bodied, you know, um, and now I've got to accept going back into a wheelchair. Um, 
so that I understand people not wanting to go back onto a pair of crutches, but actually those people that love football will, will, will fall in love with amputee football. Like I, I, I now wish I'd done it sooner. Um, Cause I, I love, I love being back on a football pitch and I'm, I'm sure those lads that were passionate about it before they'll soon forget that oh, my prosthetic legs over there on the side of the pitch and they'll just be enjoying being on a football pitch. Um, and I think people that have come to watch have been surprised just how the same with yourself in the wheelchair basketball, like just how physical <laughs> it is. I think that's the thing that, that people have been surprised at the most, like you're missing a leg and you're on crutches, but you're not holding back when you're going in for tackles and stuff. No, no, no chance. You can't. You can't no. you get hurt. Yeah. You can't, you can't go in at 50% uh, of the same with, and then um, in the able-bodied game, you're not going to go, if you go in at 50%, you're obviously going to come out on the wrong end. Yeah. And they're obviously put, trying to clamp down on some of these tackles, but Ultimately, that does take away some aspect of the of the game, but obviously it's got to evolve. And uh, there are odds of a devar system. It's not it's, obviously it's not perfect, but you got to go through some teething problems to get things right. Ultimately, it's not it's not working right now um, because well, I think they've been a little bit too in my in my mind. You know, the offside thing has been. Looking like a with a fine tooth. That's like that. That's too extreme. It's yeah. like it's not if the person would be able to see that with the with their eyes. So you're choking things off. Whereas things that they probably should go back against, like tackles and foul play, and you know little little subtle things of of di- like diving for penalties. Yeah. Do those little things, and then people will stop doing it and stop trying to do what's part and parcel of the football. Because you hear stories of people. That's one reason somebody get can you dive in the box, yeah. which is not right. Which is clear an out and ounce. Um, what's the word? Gamesmanship and ultimately cheating. And I didn't know the difference between uh, that until I was working in education and was. Uh, taught in the GCSE le- PEP lesson so obviously an adult can learn but that's that grey area of sport but what you were talking about Mark of being comfortable going backwards for a performance gain yeah the harder one is probably you tell you tell any amputee come on you, you shouldn't be in a wheelchair long term yeah. shouldn't be on your crutches long term but you need to be a little bit open to the days that might be an occasion that I don't happen to be on my, I don't have my leg on today because it's a bit sore, the sweat is swollen. For those days of that you can't, but what you talked about is a good point because the military is, well, I've never experienced Headley Court, but all the, all the new one that's in Yorkshire uh, for that matter. But ultimately it's, a lot of people probably would not survive in that kind of rehabilitation environment. But obviously you, you guys are used to it because it's normal. It's like you're going to do what you're told. Yeah. Because we want to get you back up and, and, and uh, back to normality. But I think maybe where it's maybe doing a disservice to you as an individual, it's trying to get you back to what was normality. It's like you don't, in some cases, you don't have one leg. The person might not have two, might have two prosthetic legs. 
you no longer have two le- two yeah normal legs so that's probably where oh, I can't relate because I was born with mine so but that's maybe where in some circumstances the general populace outside of the military is maybe a little bit more embracing yeah because they're not following orders it's like you're going to go from here to pretty much like sport is you've got to do as you t- i'm going to tell you when you're going to eat i'm going to tell you when you're going to go to sleep i'm going to tell you when you're going to train and i think they did a documentary on how they got off and i was surprised in terms of i'd like quite i'd quite like to work in that environment because you do the 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 i'll use it loosely that the clientele have to do as they're told yeah whereas somebody coming up rocking off joe smith off this off the street doesn't comply by all the rules of yeah. uh you know you probably see it by some of the gyms that you've gone into i want to change but it wants i want to be on my to- on my terms yeah whereas i think how i've adapted my coaching now no no you want to change you're going to play by my rules because your rules didn't work whereas yeah. the environment you come into yeah, easy done. I'll do as James tells me to do because ultimately I want to get from A to B and he knows what he's doing. So oh, there's obviously two different worlds. I've probably been in both camps because of sport yeah. and then obviously uh, the real world. But when I've talked to other athletes, we talk of excellence over here and mediocrity is acceptable here, which... I think normal, and I'm generalizing because I'm not saying everybody's average. That standard needs to be raised because if you're accepting being average or below that for that matter, which you do talk to, if you do speak to amputees in in the Facebook communities, especially the Americans, it's always like down here. Yeah. It's all doom and gloom. It's like, your life's not over. Some people, it's a second chance. It's, it's the, the door and the opportunity is wide open. you just got to take it with both hands. And ultimately, I think the best people that I've seen because I've been in, in sport has been the military because they get to that fork in the road. And for, for the majority, I've yet to seen somebody go the wrong direction. It's been, this is an opportunity. I'm going to take it and it's ultimately, uh, a, I'm not going to say a second chance, but an opportunity to excel in something different. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I've spoken to a few people sort of on social media that have recently lost limbs and stuff, and they they see it as a negative. And I've said, if, if you can find a sport that you become really passionate about, you'll actually look back on your amputation as a positive Um and I think that's the the thing is trying to change someone's mindset into not seeing it as the end of, you know, that's the end of my life. Like I'm never going to do anything again into this is new doors opening for you. Um, and if you embrace it and you accept, yes, I'm missing a limb now, but if you accept that the sooner you accept that, the sooner you can start making the most of that second opportunity. Um, and I, that's where I think sport, um sport was was massively encouraged at Headley and I think that's been very sort of therapeutic for everyone but also it channels you you're looking forward you 
rather than sort of looking back at what you've what you've lost obviously your military career a limb two limbs you then start looking forward to the next challenge and you you get stuck into that and um and then you 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 set yourself new goals so you're always striving to to improve and better yourself and rather than you haven't really got time to wallow um and i think that's what it that's the positive side of of being told what to do because it Headley Court was very much a case of you get out what you put in. If you put in the hard work, the rewards are there. Um, with getting on the good prosthetic legs, with getting on the running blades, you know, with doing the sports, it's there was always reward for your efforts. Um, and having spoken to lads sort of in strongman and stuff since that obviously lost it through different circumstances, their rehabilitation has been a much sort of lonelier path uh, on the NHS. Obviously, they haven't they haven't got that residential stay. They're not surrounded by other people in the same situation. You know, you might you might be a young 20-year-old lad that's lost your leg to bone cancer and the other three people in your hospital room are in their 80s and they've had heart attacks and strokes and stuff. And so you feel like the worst sort of injured person in that room. Whereas for me, I was in a room with a double amputee and a triple amputee. Um so I was the least injured person. So I felt very positive and, and lucky from day one. Um, so I think, yeah, I think our our rehabilitation sort of plays a big part on, on your mentality going forward. Um, so it's, it's got its positives. Do you, do you think some of that could transfer across? And I'm talking in non-COVID times now, Mark. Do you think some, because obviously the technology of legs of the military pumping probably billions into to the the prosthetics and ultimately it's evolved uh, no end of good for, for the general populace as a result. Do you think some of that residential thing should come on board? Because I, I can I, I can see the, the positives of it, of the camaraderie of ultimately people uplifting you in your circumstances because you're well, the military is a brotherhood and so is sport. But if you're on your if you're on a downer, they'll kind of go, come on, we've got something to look forward to. We're all gonna hate the I almost call him a drill sergeant, but be it the warrant officer shouting at you to, to exercise. Um, that's probably not changed from the day that you you had all your limbs. So you still hate that individual no matter what. <laughs> um so Obviously, for me, that would be an ideal job. It's like, well, I get a shout at you for a living, and uh, you 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 have to do you have to obey my command, or obviously you get reprimanded. But obviously, in the in the real world, or the or the the outside the military, people are not going to take that. It's like, no, you're not going to talk to me like that. Uh, yeah. I've I've got some say, but I see the positives of what you were saying because if ultimately they've got they're looking forward and not having a tendency to look back in in forms of regret obviously there's there's things that you can look back upon that are positives or if there is an adverse moment in your past that you've learned from that you can put into place in the present you're going to use it so i think with a lot of people able-bodied or not 
and I think this is where when it, when I now do work as a coach, you can kind of see some of these conversations materialize because they can't picture something positive because it's never they've never experienced it. And I think if you can give that positive re, um, reinforcement and motivation or inspiration going forward, you can give them those little breadcrumbs or spark to kind of look forward. Oh, it's, oh, it's positive, positive yeah. reinforcement. Well, I like that. I, I want a bit, a bit more of that. And then you don't have this occasion where what if I had my limbs again? And I was asked a good question a couple of days ago when I was interviewed. If you had two legs, what would you do? What would you do differently? It's like, well, I I was I've not I've not had the, the opportunity for that to be obviously there's been circumstances where that's been the case in my life. Yeah. As a teenager and slightly younger, I had that identity crisis of I want to be like everybody else that our friends would have got all their limbs. Um, and I think I had a conversation with my mom a couple of days ago. She's, she kind of wishes I had two legs because life would be a little bit easier. That's comfort. That's, 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 um, that's convenient. Mm. But what I'm getting at for the listeners is if I am not missing a leg, I'm not saying I wouldn't be able to become a sports person because that's that was my dream and that's passion. If you're passionate about something, you make it a reality and you're going to work your damnedest to, to, to make it happen. But the opportunity to, to, to get where I achieved is very, very, my, is, is, becomes a lot, lot harder and a lot, lot smaller. So the opportunity, probably the doors don't open as easily. Uh, I'm not saying Paralympics was a walk in the park because obviously it's not. Um, I think that's where the media probably does a disservice to it that, well, Headley Court and now Yorkshire is a pretty much, a, I, I'll call it a football factory, but, you know, in terms of it's being able to churn out athlete on an athlete and ultimately I think I think the, the governing bodies are very happy because they don't have to do as much work. Yeah. Because they, they've been signposted athletes uh, pretty much they're pre-made they're ready to go you just have to give them the skills and that's it so the so the the governing body is probably going to be a bit lazier which is not a good thing but ultimately they've got uh another alternative but where i think it does the paralympics maybe a disservice from my opinion because you might not agree is that a service member becomes injured they walk straight into it into a paralympics it's like well me being this being born with this, I've got a problem with that. And ultimately, as any comp, um, any competitor or competitive person would be, I've got something to say about you just strolling into a team, and and be it it's it's um it's one of those things that it probably be um it was a kick up the ass I needed a couple of years ago. I've seen a documentary with an ex service member uh, trying to make Beijing in two thousand eight. Because I got a bit, I got a bit not lazy. I got a little bit complacent, and it was all the it was all the impetus of probably somebody kicking me up the ass to kind of say, "Now, James, if you don't pull your finger out, this person potentially might take your place." Yeah, obviously that didn't happen, but that's probably the competitive nature of the beast. It's one of those things that. 
you do need an external motivator. And this is probably where I say it's bad because it shouldn't take that to be on the television to motivate me and only my second year in performance sport to want to make what is the pinnacle of, of disabled sport period. Yeah. Um, it's probably going to take, I don't know why football's not, I know obviously you've got your CP football in the Paralympics. I don't know why, why amputee football's not in it because we're the least, one of the least severe disabilities in, in, in the, in the, in the games. And it, it's, it's the popular game in the world. So it's, 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 it is, it does surprise me that a little bit. And uh, ultimately, you, you would think, well, the, only, well, the Americans have got a fairly good amputee football team as well. So it's surprising it's not in the Invictus Games to at least try it out to see if it would gain the popularity of say wheelchair basketball or, or I know where the rugby I know where rugby is popular because they get smashed into each other but yeah. <laughs> so. I definitely think the Invictus obviously the majority of people that compete in the Invictus games are amputees you know as a result of sort of IEDs and gunshot wounds and stuff so there's the numbers there for every country that's a part of the Invictus games to be able to include an amputee football team um, but yeah obviously I'm too far down the pecking order to be involved in those decisions, but I, I personally see that it's possible. Um, I, you know, I, I suppose it's like any sport, maybe it comes down to politics, but um, I, I think, I think it would be a good addition to the Invictus games. Um, I, I don't know so much with the Paralympics. I know, I know they've only got slots for so many, different variants of football and I think blind and cerebral palsy football are above amputee football in terms of how many nations play it um, so I think that's what holds it back from the Paralympics but Invictus I think could certainly embrace it because the majority of people that go to the Invictus games are amputees um, but yeah yeah it's... Do, you, do you think it needs to drastically make a push because i've i've known about it before you've you played it and I, and i've looked at it a fair few times and it's obviously the the tribalism that is that you raised as well is an issue because uh you, you're talking about west brom we got look you got well west brom you got west brom wolves birmingham aston villa so you got a lot of tribal things just in the way and i'm and I'm not discluding all the other ones in lower down the pyramid uh, in British football, so no offence to any clubs I didn't mention. But obviously you're going to have tribalism in these urban areas of people being kind of, well, I'm not going to play for that club because of what's on the what's on the crest. And uh, worst case scenario, you could always wear your, your, your own uh, top underneath. Yeah. If, you were, <laughs> if you're that way inclined and ultimately not obviously do a celebration that you take it off um yeah. but if you were that way inclined then it's not technically touching your skin you're wearing something underneath if you wanted to go to that extreme but i think it's going to take something like that, that, that that's drastic of of pushing the game to to showcase it as 
well, disabled sport is marginalised anyway, period. And and you just look at wheelchair basketball, uh, that we're one of the best countries in the world, but it's still on the red button. So oh, it's it's one of those things that I think I was asked after my first games by ATV, are you okay being marginal? Not my, this is my words, not theirs. Are you okay being like a second-class citizen? after football and rugby mm. like what well, but you take it you take it like that but as an olympic or paralympic sport your time to shine is every four years i think with social media you can showcase it 365 uh yeah. and, and 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 pretty much 24 7 so i think it gives you an opportunity to showcase something different because there's different aspects of it. Um, obviously, ball control is more important for, for you than, uh, say, a able-bodied person. And it, and it kind of puts it in perspective as, well, you've got two legs. Why can't you shoot the ball with both feet? Yeah. Whereas uh, I've seen some of, the, some of the drills that you were doing using the outside and inside of your foot to, to you... To, and that's probably something you've picked up from other players just by watching as well. Let me take uh, different aspects of it because it did, it it obviously makes the ball do slightly different things. And my argument for that and why I said that is an able-bodied person should be capable of doing that. Yeah. They have to use both their feet because they've got no excuse to not practice it over and over again. Some players can use both. They've obviously got one that's more dominant than, than, than the other, but which we we all do. Um, but when you bring it back to the disabled level, what's your excuse? Um, I think I surprise people with the wheelchair basketball because the last is the height the same height. Is the goal the shooting goal as high as that? Yeah. Yeah. I've never gone as far to say, well, shouldn't that person be a sh-? you can you as an able-bodied person, say LeBron for, for argument's sake. He can dunk the ball. The closest you're gonna get as wheelchair player, I think one one of the Brits is six, 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 six. So he's he's still quite way underneath the goal. Yeah. And still able to to, to score. So it's like, no. It didn't bother me at first. It well, it, it's only when you think of it, it's like, well, yeah, we are quite lower to the ground. And I'm one of my cousins. Did play professional basketball. So he, he when he uh, came over to the UK, he got in a chair, and a few of the players did as well. I'm thinking, shit, this is hard. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah, because well, yeah, you can't jump, so you're not you're t- taking away a lot of the the advantages they have because they're not being able to gain gain a little bit of distance just by the jump. It's like, no, all the power is in your upper body. Yeah. But I think. For me, and this is where I've used my disability as an advantage, I think because be it through family and and coaches I've had, they've had the open-mindedness to look at the disability as, okay, instead of looking at pity, is it a disadvantage? Where can we utilize it to be the benefit? So uh, I was a swimmer before before I went to Denver Sport, what can we utilize as James's strength? So me being obviously uh, having it all my life, as I said earlier in the episode, 
are quite well developed up body up body wise. So they kind of said you changed the narrative for me. Instead yeah. of me kind of saying to myself externally and internally with the language I was using, as I'd rather be anything but disabled. Let's look at uh, flipping the script. And then, and I think I was asked, I think it was not me personally, but it was a great question asked uh, about a year or so ago in one of the amputee groups. What are you thankful for? And I said, I, if I hadn't been disabled, I wouldn't have had my sporting career. Obviously, we won't never know. But I talked about opportunity. That opportunity presented itself. And I fully embraced it eventually with both hands because me as a teenager, I kind of went, what's your intentions by what you're saying as why don't you try disability sports? I'm very much probably like you when you first started. Well, I've all, all I've ever known is able-bodied sports. So why would I go over here? Yeah. And we're talking only 20 years ago. So it's come a long way. Paralympic sport as a whole I think football as a platform that it has should want to elevate one aspect of the game because of you know the the state of affairs that we're in in terms of you know showcasing racism to be bad where's your opportunity to show equality um, what's the word yeah, equity and inclusion to give people the opportunity that if they've never seen amputee football, here's your here's the opportunity to do it. And be it, it's going to be obviously in the lower packing order because it's not, uh, it's not everybody, and more people have underlying issues. Mm. But why not be able to put them in marketing campaigns of? Well, you can't be doing any worse than your your namesake at the moment yeah yeah <laughs> so that would be their way of doing something positive for their fan base in terms of well why don't we get behind our local amputee side at the moment to try and make them one of the there's only eight clubs why not try and make it the best in the yeah. country and then it's something for the clubs the fan base to be proud about so on this note, there's no there's no gripe in terms of not having a go at US Brom, but I think you probably have a go at your own club anyway, in terms of being where they're at in the table right now. But obviously for Manchester City, maybe a little least 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 of their worries because as of this moment, as we're recording, riding high top of the they'll probably win it. Uh, uh not, um because every team below it seems to be throwing throw in there any opportunity they can um to, to to squander that so for them obviously they've put a lot of importance on their women's side and got them involved in the market i don't reach out to the 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 empathy side and this is a conversation i had with a behavioral science uh, lecturer of chester university yesterday it's like more to round weight loss but why don't you get every aspect of each community? So black, Asian, white, disabled, fat, slim, and talk about their journey with, with food and ultimately how they overcome and what do they do with exercise? It's a great opportunity because fo football is front and center in most people's 
psyche, what we talked about off air of distraction of people yeah. putting a lot of importance to free to air sky BT. So there's billions in, in, in that particular sector. Why, why not try and at least if there's no games being played lay, uh, leverage its popularity to at least people it's, it's, it's at least if they didn't know about it, ah, it's a talking point. Yeah. 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 No, I, I agree. It's, um, I think Brighton and Portsmouth on their, their last kit releases, both had an amputee footballer along as part of the kit launch. Um, which I think was the first time and, and yeah, the only clubs that have, that have done that. But so some, some clubs are putting it out there. Um, but yeah, like you said, obviously the, the women's game now is, is being put more on a level playing field and yeah, maybe in time sort of amputee football can, can get that same recognition. Well, it's, it's, if, if a, a team like, I can't remember what league Portsmouth's in now. Not, so it's not a big in comparison it's not a big club that's no offense to anybody on the south coast but it's not it's it's not of the days when it was playing in europe yeah and same same with brighton obviously it probably punches a lot a lot above and beyond its weight and put and bournemouth when it was in the premiership as well because it's not got big it's not got a big capacity obviously got a big fan base but I think these bigger clubs obviously need to look at themselves in in the mirror because you're glo- you've got a global presence. So Arsenal, Manchester City, um, Everton obviously is now punching above his weight now with with on the able-bodied side because they've had some investment put into them, and and it took Manchester United a long time to get involved into women's game as well, which I thought it was. Uh, a little bit of a mistake on my on, on, in my belief because you you're letting Manchester City gain a march, thus yeah. control of the city. Um, because they always both like to have a little bit of a PR battle as well. Who owns the the city and who actually owns the the fans? But you can't you can't fault them from a from a from a women perspective. They put the investment in. They've got all the infrastructure. They've got the best, some of the best players in the world. So does Chelsea. But here's your opportunity to maybe, because you were talking about only two leagues of Turkey yeah. and Poland that are professional. Obviously, the t- Turks, as I said to you off air, more to, more to speak, the Istanbul's clubs of Galatasaray, Fenerbahce, Besiktas, obviously fanatical in following their club, irrespective of what it is, that they'll follow amputee football, wheelchair basketball, it doesn't matter, but volleyball, whatever that club is, they follow it. Yeah. And probably the Polish are probably very similar. But when it comes to us, I think in the UK, it's more tribal towards sports yeah. more than than the club. And, and we've obviously tried to be like, um, Spain, Turkey, in terms of you know, like that's one club, it's one club, one badge, one club, 
Uh, and I've, I think Manchester United tried to get into basketball. It didn't work because they weren't successful and obviously pulled the plug. But this isn't a, this, we're not talking about multiple sports. We're talking about the same thing. Yeah. The ball is the same. Ultimately, the only aspects of it is certain aspects of, of the game. But the sport is still the same thing. So we're obviously still beating the same drum of inclusion. But what I would probably implore the, the the clubs to look at is give people opportunity. Because it's yeah. like, well, it's one way to get your closer to the fan base. The players could probably put, take, put, try that out, you know, hopping along with one leg. Yeah, I know they did it before the Champions League final a couple of years ago. Because, um, I mean, in, in Poland, uh, Robert Lewandowski is like an ambassador for amputee football. Uh, so they've got a huge name in Poland to attach to the sport. Um, whereas obviously like that's that's something we we haven't got over here. Um, someone someone big to really sort of push it. Um, but yeah, apart from obviously the club badges that the teams wear, um, there isn't someone of the level and stature of, of Lewandowski over here. You think it needs that? Or do you think through having more people like yourself that are willing to talk about your story and how, because ultimately that's obviously what people like um, when it comes to, I'll call it reality, we'll call it reality uh, television, but social media, uh, people want to know every ounce of your your existence do you think it's more through that that's and, and showcasing each individual has had a slight slightly different journey to get where they are now and why can't you be the next person so i'm pretty much doing the pr but i think for somebody if they're just listening but be it storytelling as as a as a as a hype video from that perspective as we had you know the phoenix rising for the documentary with the paralympics very great success um obviously i know that there's going to be a second one uh that because of off the back of it being so very successful of, of, of showcasing the run-up into tokyo but do you think it is going to take something like possibly a netflix or an amazon prime to to be able to maybe showcase the, the story behind the sport to be able to kind of the, maybe the FA take note, oh, we do have pretty much of a untapped gem. Yeah, definitely. I think that would, like you said, obviously, you know, just in one club, you've got people that have had diabetes, they've had bone cancer, uh, they've had motorbike accidents, they've stepped on IEDs, you know. So in terms of like a, a documentary there, you've got, 10 different stories um, and all probably equally interesting to people that are watching. I think, I think something like that, like a yeah documentary of sorts to give people an insight into, into the sport and into the players. Um, that would be, I, I watched the, the Phoenix rising documentary. I thought it was brilliant. Uh, so something, yeah, something like that is never going to be a negative towards the sport. Uh, it's only going to, it's only going to help it. I think, um, but yeah, it's it's obviously 
um, getting those opportunities. We're talking about this at the end of the day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you see, I know people can't see my fingers, but you know what I'm intending by what without me having to physically see it. But and this moves me nicely to, to my next question for you, Mark. Obviously, you released a book about your story. Would you ever contemplate that becoming some sort of documentary or film? Um, I mean, to be honest, I was more just uh, sort of flattered that people wanted to read it at all. Obviously, that's that's ultimately why I why I wrote it. I had friends of mine sort of say, you know, you you should put your experiences into words. And um, at the time, obviously, I, I didn't really have the sort of time to dedicate to, to writing a book. And then the the first lockdown happened, and it seemed like the perfect opportunity. Um, but yeah, I mean, just the fact that people want to read it is 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 sort of overwhelming in itself. But yeah, if, if something like that could be progressed on to <laughs> something else like sort of documentaries and stuff, then um, like I said, that can only be a positive. So I'd jump at the opportunity. Um, and you talked about it, writing it during lockdown. How difficult was it to, to put your... I'll, I'll say memoirs to paper because I, I've I've been ultimately asked to do something similar. How challenging was it for you, just for, for like personal personal preference for me to to to, to experience? Um, the the process of doing it, I found sort of quite therapeutic to almost like taking a big weight off my shoulders um, to sort of process it all properly and to and to also. There was a lot of fond memories. Obviously, my time in the military, I was able to recall a lot of memories and stuff. And um, so there were parts of it I really enjoyed sort of reminiscing. Uh, like I said, uh, the chapters sort of talking more about the operational tours and life sort of in the barracks. I'd, I enjoyed that. Um, and then obviously there's there's sort of there's harder parts and, and there's parts... Um, I wanted to give people an understanding as to what's made me tick, what's what sort of manifested the stubbornness that I've got and the determination and things. And so I actually sort of wrote about my upbringing, um, which a lot of people, even lads I'd served with, never really knew. Because, uh, you know, the day that I started sort of my basic training and onwards, that was a fresh start, that was a clean slate. So everything from school and growing up, that was closed um so to put that in i i felt was important because it it meant people would understand why i'm so hell-bent on pushing myself um but yeah equally i was i was i was nervous and i was worried that again that that stuff that i'd kept sort of locked away at the back of my head for all these years was there um and, you know, I was worried that sort of people I'd serve with would think less of me. And um, so there's there's parts that I found difficult to write uh, and there's parts I was nervous about people reading. But then on the whole, I quite enjoyed reliving those. Mo like, for example, sort of strongman, I always looked forward to the next competition as opposed to uh, sort of enjoying the moment itself. You know, if I'd won a competition, I wouldn't sort of celebrate. I... Uh, if it was on the Saturday, I'd rest on the Sunday and come the Monday, I'd be training for my next one. So I was always just the next thing, the next thing. Um, whereas writing about it, 
actually let it sink in and allowed me to process what I have been lucky enough to do. Um, so I enjoyed it. I don't know if I'd ever sit and write another one, <laughs> um, but I enjoyed I enjoyed putting it all down and um, I was glad that I did. Um, I, I, I did end up reading it back um, a few weeks back just to, just to sort of um, see, see how it had turned out. Obviously I had um, an editor who sort of reworded some of my sort of spiel um, and just to sort of see how it sounded. Um, and I, I, I was happy, um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's quite, I think the first page is the hardest, <laughs> just getting started. And then, yeah, after that, I I was spending around three, four hours a day sat at the laptop typing and I had a whole checklist, a, a timeline from sort of my teenage years all the way through to now. Um, and then I'd have like little bits coming off of sort of memories I didn't want to leave out. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I'm glad I did it. And I think it it was almost like a form of counselling in a way because it enabled me to to talk openly. Um, probably, you know, it was probably easier to type in words as it was to sit here and say it to someone. I, I didn't want to have a, a ghostwriter that sat there with a dictaphone and I just sat here and spoke to him. I wanted it to be my words. Um, so I, yeah, I felt sort of quite in control of, of how it turned out. And, um, but yeah, yeah. If you if you get the opportunity, I'd definitely do it. Obviously, it's you know you've you've achieved plenty of things, and where you talked about your mindset and the coaching and and what got. Well, you... I think my stumbling block, Mark, and and uh, this I'll, I'll be vulnerable with the audience is pretty much what you're talking about. It's whether how you're going to be judged. Mm. Am I comfortable with airing my dirty laundry, as yeah. I'll put it loosely like that, but. And, and and as ultimate is it going to make somebody enact something that they need to do? But be it, it's a motivational tool to, to for them to change. Um, and I've always I've always struggled putting words into into writing anyway. In terms of how do what I mean, how does it come? Does it come across in the tonality that I want it to do? Whereas spoken spoken word, yeah yeah depending on how you present it it's frustrated it's anger it's sadness you you can um where am i going with this you've obviously got your influences from southern europe because i'm using my hands a lot but to be able to communicate whereas with written written format it's somebody's interpretation of your your wording, so it's yeah. you're never going to get away from that because until it goes into maybe an audible book, which yeah. maybe something something else that you might want to do, and obviously that's you speaking your words uh, and you doing it that way, it takes on a different meaning. But let me ask you this one then as a question: If it was to ever go to become a movie or a film, who would you want to put, portray you then? <laughs> I can't say that's something I've ever thought about. Um, I honestly don't know. <laughs> I don't know who would want to. Um, 
God knows. So the only thing a person I can think that's bald is Jason Statham. That's the only person I can think of. But he might be too old by then, though. Yeah, I'd take that as a compliment. <laughs> so yeah, maybe my early years he might have to wear a wig, but <laughs> um, yeah, God knows. So oh, maybe it comes up, maybe it doesn't. My final question I like to ask all my guests then, Mark. If you had to sit down with any athlete, dead or alive for that matter, who would that be and why? Mike Tyson. Okay. Oh, like I, I've read his book a few times. I've watched his documentaries. Obviously, grew up sort of watching him fight. And like, I, I could ask that man questions all day. Like, you know, one of one of the most exciting sort of heavyweight boxers to ever live. I think. Um, yeah, if if I could, if I could meet anyone um, and have the opportunity to talk with him, I I think it would be Mike Tyson. Um, yeah, yeah. He's. Uh, I I've, I suppose I've got different different sort of admirations for different people in different sports. For me. Growing up, uh, you know, I was I was a left back from sort of seven years old, and it was Stuart Pearce. Um, I loved he epitomised everything about being an, an English defender. Um, so, you know, it was it was Stuart Pearce on a football pitch. Um, you know, it was Arnold Schwarzenegger um, as someone in you know films I'd grown up watching. Someone that had been Mr. Universe, Mr. Olympia. Um, so yeah, I suppose there's different role models for for different parts of life, but I think yeah, if I could, if I could sit with anyone and have a conversation, I think uh, yeah, Mike Tyson. I I think the bloke's fascinating. Uh, That's an understatement, that one. <laughs> and then what I'll, I'll, I'll do. A, I don't normally do this, but I'll do a follow-on question from that. As you said, Mike Tyson, which in which uh, at what time? Because ultimately, he's been multiple different people. Uh, you know, towards the end of his career, um, once he'd sort of mellowed out a little bit and stuff, like, um, like you said, I suppose he's been, he's been multiple different people, but, um, yeah, I just, his is one of the books that when I read it, I just, I enjoyed every single page. Like, I, the, the man's had like such a, a fulfilled life an eventful life um but yeah obviously youngest ever sort of heavyweight world champion and um you know he's had his own sort of setbacks and stuff and um but yeah like i mean i i was able to sit with my children when he when he had his exhibition fight with roy jones jr recently and to say to it like that's that's mike tyson you know, to sit with my own children and then be able to watch him obviously be it a lot older but um yeah, I think probably him towards the end of his career, once he sort of, once he'd sort of mellowed out slightly, be yeah, be an interesting person to share some time with. Did you watch the um, interview after the fight? Of it when the, the uh, announcers obviously talking to uh, Roy Jones Jr. Like, yeah. what was it like to get in with with this? And then obviously he took over the mic. It's like, well, I'm I'm a lot older than he is, and he's yeah. Like, <laughs> Which was yeah. I I, sh- I shared that because I thought it was it was not comical but it was a it was um 
a playful side of Tyson that you'd probably never seen before. It's like, well, he's got a point because he's 10, 15 years older than than Roy. And I I was obviously seeing some of his um, social media stuff in the run-up to it, thinking this dude's in his 50s and he looks like he's in his 20s. So yeah. some people, it should put you to shame. It's yeah. like that he only needed lockdown to kind of go, well, obviously it was on the cards, but it was like a, a, a switch had been flicked on and it's, and it's go time. So this is my final question to you before we wrap up the episode then, Mark. If you had, if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? Oh, um, good question. Um, I think my own sort of mentality on the last few years um, and something that I've sort of I've said before is anyone can achieve anything. Um, it all comes down to mindset and, you know, how much how much you want to achieve it. Um, you know, the things that you've achieved, they've they've been down to what makes what makes you tick, you know, how determined you are, your your mentality and determination and I think if you want something enough, regardless of like what sport it is or it's achievable, uh, you've, you've just got to be prepared to put in the effort. And um, ultimately, I think that's what my, my avenues have, have sort of epitomized since I lost my leg is um, I've been able to achieve anything because I've, I've put in that effort and that determination um yeah yeah the sort of the long and short of it is that i think anybody can do the things that the things that i i've done personally um with the with the right sort of positive attitude so once again mark thanks again for coming on the mindset athlete podcast thank you yeah thank you for having me on it's been a pleasure i've enjoyed speaking with you it's been my absolute pleasure Thanks again for tuning in and I hope you enjoyed this episode and got loads from it. Anything that was included and discussed will be available in the show notes below. And I would love to hear from you. Come and connect and ask your questions. I've been James Roberts from jamesowenroberts.com. Remember this quote by Chris Hoth. An athlete is a mindset. It's how you prepare, think and execute not by some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete.